and there was this voice in the back of my head that would call out about this dance program or this dance studio for people with disabilities. I'm like, okay, voice, I hear you. Let's explore this. How can I just test it? Welcome to the iFund Women Show, where we are talking to one entrepreneur about one huge problem in her business, and we are going to help her solve it. I'm your host, Karen Kahn. My team and I founded iFund Women to help female entrepreneurs get access to the capital, the expert coaching, and the lucrative connections all designed to grow our ideas into profitable, sustainable businesses. Let's do this. Okay, hello, iFund Women Land. What is up? My name is Karen Kahn. I'm the founder and CEO of iFund Women. And I'm so excited today because we are solving a problem that is universal to all 163 million female founders from around the world, which is Am I ready to raise venture capital? And if so, what are my first best steps? I am so excited to have Lauren Beasley, the founder of Move Inclusive Dance, here with me today. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Lauren, tell us about your origin story and your funding journey to date. Leave no detail uncovered. So the mission of Move Inclusive Dance is, is to transform lives through the power of movement, and that is deeply rooted in my personal story. I took my first dance class when I was just three years old. And for as long as I can remember, being at the dance studio was my favorite place to be. It was, you know, my social outlet. It was my creative outlet, my emotional outlet. And I can say that in a lot of ways, I am who I am today because of my experience in dance. And uh, when I was around the age of 13, I was on the way home from the dance studio in the car with my mom. And we were talking about, I guess, my rehearsal that day. I'm not really sure. But I, for whatever reason, asked her, why isn't there a dance studio for people with disabilities? Amazing. And my mom responded and said, I don't know, maybe you'll open one someday. And what, what's really interesting is I didn't even know anyone with a disability. Um, but I like to say that's kind of when the, the seed was planted. And so... Fast forward some years, I get my BFA in dance education, and after I graduated, I got a job at this place called Pure Bar, which for those who may not know, is a ballet bar fitness studio. And I saw that job as just like a stepping stone moment. Um, I thought it would be kind of a transitional phase in my life before I really figured out what I was going to do. And little did I know that would play a huge role in what I'm doing now. And so um, I ended up moving to, to New York City and working for the studios there and then eventually landed here in Nashville where I managed the studios in town. And throughout all of that time, there was this voice in the back of my head that would call out about this dance program or this dance studio for people with disabilities. And I still was just like, that's that doesn't even make sense. Why would I why would I do that? I'm not the person for this. And so eventually I'm like, okay, voice, I hear you. Let's explore this. How can I just test it without, you know, making any large commitment or saying, you know, I'm going to quit my job and whatever. So I said, well, I can, I can take off work for a week and I can rent a space where I can have a summer camp. And that will allow me to see if, 
you know, the community needs this or responds well to it, but also if I'm even a good fit to do this. And so, so audience, I want to stop Lauren for one second. So there's a very key point that she just said there, which is do not quit your day job to become an entrepreneur and beta test, test your thing in a small way to see if people even want it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes. go on Lauren. Yes. So I, I call up a friend who, um, because again, I don't know anyone with a disability, right? I just have this idea. So I call up a friend who has experience in both teaching dance and teaching individuals with disabilities, where I have all of the experience for teaching and dance and teaching dance, but just not that crucial part of this equation, right? And so I tell her my idea and she loves it. And I said, okay, well, I would love to hire you to come teach this camp for me. And so at that point, I realized, okay, well, this also is going to require some money, right? So I had heard of iFundWomen and I jumped on your website and was like, this looks great. Love it. So I put together a campaign to raise $5,000 to host this, this summer camp. And we hit the goal on day one of the campaign. And then over the course of like 30 days, we raised around $12,000 or somewhere in that range. And were you surprised that you hit your goal so fast? Yes. Because the video <laughs> of me s- telling the world, this idea is like, I've never done this before, but I think it's a great idea. And, you know, I had some statistics prepared, of course, saying, you know, why I think it should exist, but I had no real experience. But what I did have was this network of women from this job at Purar, where I'd worked in various cities that supported me and believed in me and, and thought that, you know, that they could see me see success with this. And so, yeah, when we hit the goal, I was like, okay, so I guess we're off to a good start. I mean, you know, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because, you know, another point is, When you're raising your first round of capital, whether it's crowdfunding, and then as this goes into, you know, your angel round or your seed round, your investors are betting on you, the founder, to be able to pull this off, right? So what you saw in your first crowdfunding campaign with the 5,000 raised in a day were your colleagues Mm -hmm. saying, oh, we know Lauren can do this. She's got the business acumen. She's got the business savvy. Like, we know she's going to do this. Exactly. Put their money where their mouths are. Yes. We love to see it. So, uh, the camp happens and on the last day, the parents and the caregivers, they, they come in to start picking up their kids and they're all like, this was amazing. We want to sign up for the next one. You know, what are the details? And I looked at my friend Megan who was teaching and laughed because I'm like, there is no next thing. Like this was truly a pilot. So it was, it was evident from, from day one. That- oh, those parents must've been crushed because as a parent with a kid with differences and one who, if your camp would have been available when he was little in my area would have been a no brainer. Yeah. I would have, if, if I heard that like there wasn't another one, I would have cried. Yeah. Well, you, know me. you know me. I was like, well, j- give me just a moment. Let me uh, just keep your information and I will be in touch. Well, you Anyways, proved so- demand. Yeah. You proved demand before you invested in supply. Exactly. Another amazing lesson. Like you are textbook A plus entrepreneur so far. So keep going. Thank you. This Thank is great. you. Great. So, um, so after that, I, I, I quickly shift into okay, how do I make this full time? How do I quit my job and make this my career? And you know, for me, that was 
opening a studio where we could have a year round program and these people could come take class whenever they want. Um, and we can serve all ages, all ability levels, not just a small specific area. So that meant we needed more money. And luckily, because I had already crowdfunded with iFund Women and you and I actually met at a non iFund Women event. So I was, I was lucky enough to have you to coach me through that process. And we, um, you know, created a plan for me to raise a hundred thousand dollars this time to open a studio. And we worked on a list of who I could be reaching out to, to back the campaign and all of the things that would go into it because we're, we're leveling up in a major way from that first campaign, right? This is a whole new ball game. Before we get into all of the awesome coaching, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. So listen up. iFund Women's mission is and always has been to close the funding gap for women entrepreneurs. You know the best way we can do that? By writing big checks. Apply to iFund Women Entrepreneur of the Year for your chance to win $100,000 through an equity investment, coaching scholarships, and more. Need we say more? Apply today at ifundwomen.com forward slash EOY21. That's ifunwomen.com forward slash EOY21. And so it was, it was right around a year after the first campaign, I launched the second campaign and it's great when we launch, we hit the ground running. And then about halfway through, I hit a major plateau. Which is often known as the trough of sorrow. Oh, yeah. There's an actual word for it. When your, your crowdfunding campaign sort of starts off with a bang yep. and then you sort of dip down yep. into this trough of sorrow. Yes. And then at the very last second, it goes back up. Yes. I remember being when I was in that pit at a girl's night and my, my girlfriends were like, so how are you feeling? Cause you know, they see me out there every day pushing this thing, please donate, please donate. And, um, I was like, you know, sometimes I'm like, I wish I could just go to an Island where no one knows that I started this campaign and just like, forget about it, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And so it's so real though. That insight is so real. It is hard. Crowdfunding is hard. But you, but you can do it. You can do it. That's right? right. That's right. Yes. So, um, like I mentioned, we had created this list of of potential backers, and I, up until this point, had been reaching out to literally everyone, anyone who I could get a contact info for. I was calling them. I was emailing them, saying, "Hey, look at my idea. I think you would like this." And um, there was one person left on the list, and she was actually the number one slot, and she was the founder and the creator of Pure Bar. So. Again, this job that I thought would be this small stepping stone in what would be my career um, had turned out to, you know, give me all the tools that I needed to be a successful entrepreneur. It had, you know, taught me how to manage a business, but then also it had connected me, like I said, with this this network of women across the country, really, um, that, you know, were just amazing and wanted to see other women have success. And, and we're so- also in your domain. Yes. which gives it a, you know, a double, triple network effect when you think about it. Right. Right. And so I'm like, how amazing would it be if the woman who created all of this could be a part of, of this part of my story? And so I didn't have her contact info. Um, but I was like, you know, and it's well, okay. If you want to give her a shout out, if you don't want to, that's okay too. Yeah. Her, her name's Carrie Dory. She's amazing and I love her dearly. Um, And she's turned out to be an amazing mentor of mine too. So this is just 
a wonderful, wonderful story. But this um, was before. You didn't know Carrie. She did didn't not know, know you. Did not know me. No. Um, and so I was like, I'm just going to guess her email address. I don't know. And see what happens. So I type up this email and I tell her, you know, um, I remember whenever I heard your story of how you started Pure Bar from nothing and it, it changed the world as we knew it. And I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life at that time. But I really remember sitting there thinking, I want to be like her. And so I uh, tell her, I have this little idea that I think you may be interested in. I and this was love, over email. So to fast forward. Email. Yes. And um, I say, I would love to, to take a phone call with you if you can spare, you know, a few minutes of your time. And so again, can I interrupt you again, because yes, I was your coach during this time. And I remember, yes. so I remember where I was sitting. And we were network mapping and you were like, you know, you told me your Carrie Dora story. You're like, should yeah. I put her on the list? I'm like, yes, put her on the list, girl. Mm-hmm. What is the worst thing that could happen if you send her an email? Right. She doesn't open it. It goes to spam. She doesn't see it. She deletes it. Who cares? That's right. What's the best thing that happens? She opens it and she responds, which is what happened. So the next morning, actually, I wake up and I'm still in bed pull up my phone, check my email. And I see her name. I literally was like, wait a minute. What? I mean, I I really, I I didn't even know. Well, actually, so I guessed like three email addresses. And when I sent it, two bounced back. Oh my gosh. I love the blessing of the email addresses. I have done that before too. People, there are some gems being dropped here. Yes. One, you never know. Make the ask. What is the worst thing that's going to happen? You're not going to die if someone doesn't open your email period. And if you can't find their email address, just guess. Just guess. First name dot last name at company, first <laughs> name at company, first name, first initial dot. I don't know. Just guess. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, so, so I see that she's responded and I open it and it says, you know, you know, thank you for your kind words. That's so sweet of you. Um, I actually do love this idea, but rather than a phone call, would you be willing to fly out and meet me so we can talk about this? And I'm like, yes, I will get on the next plane and see you. Oh my God. And you're still in your jams. You're still like, oh. Yes. So um, skip forward. I I fly out to meet her and the meeting is the most surreal moment of my life. We're just chatting like we're old friends for like an hour. You go from Nashville to Colorado, correct? Yes. At the end of, like an hour goes by and at the end of the meeting, she's like, okay, we'll have to wrap this up. But Um, I just think this is so awesome and I'm really impressed with, you know, what you plan to do with this thing. And I want to see it come to life. And so I'm going to write you a check for $55,000 and your campaign's over. You're done. And when I say I had an out-of-body experience, because I, I didn't know what I'm to- I'm having an out-of-body experience. Like, I feel like yeah. I want to cry hearing the story again, and I've known the story, but yeah, like, right. it's just so- It never gets old. It never it gets old. It never gets old. Yeah. So there were like tears. We hugged. I don't even, I really, I think I blacked out. I don't really <laughs> know what happened. Um, but I, I get back to Nashville and I'm like, okay, it's time to get to work. So we opened the studio in August, 2019. You can probably guess where this is headed. We were open for about- six to seven months before COVID. Yeah. Happened. I remember just seeing classes and classes and you were doing so much digital yep. content, Yes, you know, to include your community who had supported you because you were doing IRL, you know, you had the studio, the physical space, but you were also, right. you know, doing so much digital content, which was great because it kept all of your quote unquote early investors or early supporters in the know about where yes. their money actually went and you actually did it. Yes. Which was really smart of you. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's key is just is keeping that engagement, right? Um, yeah. And, and people want to know, like, if you're going yes. to fund something, you want to know what's going on. So absolutely. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of how it all began. Okay. Recapping, you did two crowdfunding campaigns. One, you raised 12 grand for the beta, the mm-hmm. summer camp. You had such demand from the parents and caregivers in Nash for people of all abilities and all ages Mm -hmm. to have this regular programming. So you spent the next sort of six months developing your crowdfunding campaign, getting all your leads, collecting as many business cards as you could, obviously using your list, your customer list from the camp Mm -hmm. and expanding that email list for other parents and caregivers of people with disabilities around your area um, and then potential investors you did your campaign. You raised your hundred grand. Thank you again, Carrie Dorr. You are an amazing feminist and we love you. Mm-hmm. And these aren't, these aren't uncommon stories, by the way, at I Find Women. We have people that are funding 25,000, 50,000, 30,000 because they believe. And it's about you and the founder. And then, so you opened up, everything's going swimmingly and COVID hits. Okay. Yes. So then what do you do? Yes. So, you know, that first six to seven months, it was fully, I mean, it was like any startup business. We're just trying to like get our feet on the ground. And, um, you know, with what we do, because it is unique, there's really no playbook. Um, So we're kind of just making it up as we go. And it, of course, like right around March was when I started to feel like, okay, things are clicking into place. And um, again, then, then, then came COVID. So So let me ask you a question. So what is the business model at this point? Is it membership, right? Membership. Yes. And just for the in-person lessons at our studio here in Nashville. Got it. So So it's monthly recurring revenues. It's a, it's a, it's a membership model where people can sign up for a certain amount of months or a year or whatever it is. And they take a weekly class or a biweekly class or whatever package Mm -hmm. they choose. Exactly. it's, It's monthly recurring revenues, correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. That's point number one audience to remember. Lauren's business has monthly recurring revenues. So we're at, so I want to map back to the problem we're solving today, mm-hmm. which is a two-parter. One, am I ready for VC or also am I VC appropriate? And two, what are the next steps? So remember, MRR, monthly recurring revenues, VCs love that. It's, it's, love a, it. it's a, they love it. It's a requirement. Okay. Keep going. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so we, So how did you pivot? What did you right. do during COVID? So obviously we had to temporarily close the studio. And so immediately I'm like, okay, we have to find a way to keep doing what we're doing virtually. Right. And for our students in particular, a lot of them, the smallest change in a schedule can be a huge, huge, huge deal. So for me, it was really just like helping them have some type of consistency in their routine in this new crazy normal that we're living in. Right. And so then talk to me about your, your audience and the target market, because we haven't really touched on that. Yeah. Yeah. Who is, who are your move inclusive dance students? Tell me about them all. Um, mostly uh, our students have some type of disability, but that ranges. I mean, um, you know, anything from autism, Down syndrome, or maybe it's just like a physical disability of some sort. Um, but we have some students that are typically developing as well. And I, I often say that those are the students that get the most out of what we do because it's just such a, a cool experience the, the, when moms call me and they're like, hey, I have a kid that doesn't have a diagnosis of any sort, but I love the idea of them taking a dance class where they can have this like social development, you know, when they're surrounded by people who aren't just like them. Um, 
can we participate? I'm like, for sure. It's like, how big is this market opportunity? I mean, it's huge. You know, there's 61 million adults in the U.S. that have some type of disability. And again, we're Wait, working- 61 million adults in the U.S. Yes. So that's that a very- A functional disability. Yes. And that's a very, very large number, right? Yeah. So um, again, we see people with things that I'll be like, I've never even heard of that. You know, there's all kinds of things that, that come to us in terms of different diagnosis, but autism is a huge one. And- yep. In a recent study by Autism Speaks, it showed that diagnoses for ASD are increasing every year. You have Down syndrome, right? There's around 400,000 people in the U.S. that are living with Down syndrome. We have CP, also huge numbers there. And then there's this other group of people, the what they're calling invisible disabilities, and that could be people that maybe... They don't have a physical or, you know, neurotypical disability that you would notice, but maybe they have ADHD or some kind of chronic illness that would prevent them from doing something as simple as participating in a dance class, right? Oh, and, don't we know it. I mean, yeah. invisible disabilities are, it's, it's a very, very hot topic because there are so many more individuals with these invisible disabilities that prevent them from doing typical classes, Right. And it's and it's almost harder for people with invisible disabilities because as you're you know, they're walking down the street and you can't tell. Yes. But, you know, they may be nonverbal. They may have a processing delay. They may mm-hmm. have a chronic illness where they've been in and out of hospitals, mm-hmm. but they have, you know, and they've been homeschooled, forget COVID. So there's so there's so many um reasons why a parent would want their child or their adult child to be in an environment that is totally inclusive, yeah. inclusive, like what a great brand. While some of those numbers, you know, it's un- maybe unfortunate or to see these, these increases, like I mentioned, um, yeah, the market opportunity for move inclusive dance, it's, it's pretty huge. All right. So that's another, that's another signpost um, yes. on our funding journey, ladies and gentlemen, which is how big is the market opportunity? So 61 million adults in the U.S. have some sort of a disability. If you break it down, it's, I mean, I would imagine that at, at the very minimum, there's 30 million people from sort of early childhood to adulthood that would want to take these classes yeah. at the minimum, right? And, and unfortunately growing. It's exactly. a big market. It's a big market. And we talked about your business model, which is a monthly subscription, yes. right? Yes. So, so, okay. So get back to talking about what you discovered as you pivoted to digital classes during yes. COVID. Did it help or hurt? Yes. The moment of, of the pivot. So, um, like I said, originally the, the, my idea for taking things virtually was just for our current enrolled students to benefit them. And while I had goals for this to become a nationwide program one day. I, I never, I thought that would look like satellite programs happening in different cities or us, you know, having multiple locations, but about three months in or so to the, uh, the, the virtual programming stuff that we had been rolling out, I had a mom call me who's in the Seattle area and she's like, Hey, I've found you online. And I am not local to Nashville, but I love what you're doing. And I think that my daughter could really benefit from this. And we would love to participate as long as you're doing this virtual thing. I don't know if you plan to continue, you know, after, and at that time we had no idea what normal or when, you know, you know how it is, but um, we're like in the fall when everything goes back to normal. Exactly. Exactly. She was like, just count us in for as long as you're, you're doing it. And in that moment, I have a light bulb go off because I'm like, wait a second, there's something here. I can be in as many cities as I want 
at the same time without even leaving my house, right? So yeah, I think this virtual program, I think it should be here to stay. So now we have kind of two different channels of the business. So we have the in-person side at the studio here in Nashville. And um, then we have this virtual and are, program. you've been able to reopen? Yes, yes. We reopened in August. Oh, great. And um, it's going, That's yeah, huge. It's going great. And um, everything, you know, we're doing everything we can, keeping everything socially distanced and all the things. And so far we haven't had any, any issues, which is amazing. But then, yeah, we have this virtual program where we're seeing students literally across the U.S. every week. And not only is it a great um, way for them to be like physically and mentally engaged and get some good exercise while they're probably locked up inside, you know, just sitting around watching videos or whatever, um, but it's also opened up a social like outlet for these people. And oh, that's, that's the so feedback that I get yeah, from the parents is that, you know, they love that their, their kids are meeting friends. And um, so it's turned out to be just the biggest silver lining of this crazy, crazy year. Cause I never, yes. I never, I never would have tapped into that. Yeah. And I think what's so exceptional about what you're doing is you're solving a massive problem. You really are for millions and millions of people. Again, like I tend to gravitate towards the coaching clients that I take on. I tend to gravitate towards problems that I want solving. When, when your coach has passion for what you're doing and also inside baseball knowledge, like I am one of those parents, mm -hmm. right? I am one of those parents. So I know my kid has CP and, you know, there's almost a million Americans that have cerebral palsy and 10,000 babies born every year with CP. So these trends are not great trends, but the market is huge. The IRL studios, that's a very replicatable model because it's not that expensive to put together a dance studio, right? right. Especially, I don't know if you're planning to go more urban areas or suburban areas, and that's something you can think about, but your model scales both IRL with the brick and mortar, and it obviously scales digitally and it could scale internationally. Mm -hmm. So what a great opportunity. And this is another signpost around, can I raise venture capital? So we talked about the monthly recurring revenues and the business model. Right. We talked about, and we're now talking about scale and how yeah. Lauren can scale her business. She can scale it both with brick and mortar and she can scale it with digital. And that is super important. And the market size, the market size is enormous even here just in the US. And once you, I'm sure you have the numbers for international, we don't have to talk about them, but when you go out and pitch VC, because girl, PS, you are VC appropriate, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna want all those numbers. Yeah. Hey people, before we get into it, give a listen to this quick word from our awesome sponsor. Hey entrepreneurs, this is iFund Women co-founder, Sarah Summers. I wanted to make sure you know about our biggest funding program yet iFund Women Entrepreneur of the Year. After a super tough year for all of us, we created Entrepreneur of the Year to shine a bright light on women entrepreneurs against all odds growth. Are you iFund Women's Entrepreneur of the Year? You'll never know unless you apply. Head to ifundwomen.com forward slash EOY21 to apply. That's ifundwomen.com forward slash EOY21. Okay. So how is it going? How is the growth going month over month? It's going great. It's going great. We're definitely seeing an increase every month. And the first month that we reopened the studio post COVID, we actually had more revenue than we ever did 
pre-COVID, which I was, you know, like, I'll take that as another good sign. Um, Absolutely. Really because great. you've been building up your building up and that's what the, you know, the recurring revenue model, that's why investors love it because it just, it gloms onto each other. Right. right. So you're growing what, like double digits month over yeah. month. Yes. Phenomenal. Great, great, great. Okay, y'all. So Move Inclusive has checked literally every box in terms of answering the question, am I ready to raise VC? Should I raise VC? Hallelujah. You're solving a massive problem that millions of people have. They have proven product market fit that they've proven over the last two years. They have traction and recurring revenues and the product can scale. So the answer to your first question is, Heck yes, you should be raising VC. Okay. 100%. How does that feel? It feels a lot of things. <laughs> I feel a lot of things. I mean, I think I, I, I felt like that was probably the answer. One question I do have for you that we have not touched on at all would be, and this is where I'm totally just, I'm kind of clueless. So I'm, I'm technically set up as a nonprofit. So I don't know, does that make me a good fit still for this? So interesting. Okay. Lauren, Lauren, Lauren. Oh my God. So I've said this before on the show and I've said it many times before. If I had like a dollar for every time somebody asked if iPhone Women was a nonprofit, I probably have like $20,000. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe 10,000. But the answer is, your business, a nonprofit is a business, right? And you've right. been running your nonprofit like a business, which mm -hmm. is exactly what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. So in order to raise venture capital, you just need to change the structure of your business. A nonprofit is simply a business with a different tax structure and a different right. tax code. That's it. You get an A plus in entrepreneurship because you've been running it like a boss business since day one, focusing on revenue, focusing on driving customer experience, focusing on beta testing, test learning and iterating, pivoting. Like you're, you haven't run this business like a nonprofit. I'm actually, I remember you told me this once long ago and I think I buried it being like, she's not a nonprofit, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you don't, you don't give those vibes off. And yeah. so it's just interesting too, because a lot of women who are doing businesses that are socially good, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you have a socially conscious mission mm -hmm. really think, I don't want to say we're pushed into, but I think we are kind of been brainwashed into thinking like, Oh, this is a nonprofit because mm -hmm. I'm helping people. Right. But really you're running a business because I can guarantee you that your customers, the parents who are paying you the monthly membership fees for their children to be able to go to camp or to class or whatever it is, mm -hmm. they're not thinking of this as a write-off. Mm -hmm. Half of them probably don't even know. Yeah. They're just, they want, they want the services desperately. And so you need to not be a nonprofit anymore. So that's, okay. that's your first step. I'm glad you asked that question because that is, that was not planned, but that is step numero uno. So you got to get your lawyer and your accountant on the phone okay, and say, Hey people, we are, um, moving from a nonprofit to a for-profit. We are going to be raising an equity round. Mm -hmm. And what type of corporation do you recommend that I do based on tax codes? There's like S corps and C corps and there's different benefits to each. Okay. And, you know, you're going to have a proper cap table with investors. So you're going to have angel investors and these are accredited investors mm -hmm. and you're going to have venture funds and you need to be a corporation in order to do that. Okay. So that's priority numero uno. You talk to your accountant and your lawyer and you get that set up and you incorporate Okay. 
that's going to feel good. Yeah, that's like a, a big, that feels like a big step, but it makes sense, right? I mean, it's an exciting step. Yeah. And again, like you've done this all correctly, mm-hmm. which is you've test, learn, iterated, you've proven product market fit and you've proven demand and there's a massive need for this. So you've checked all the boxes that most entrepreneurs have not checked before. If this is like the one thing that's standing in the way of you raising money, <laughs> it's, this is the easiest problem to solve. Okay. And it'll probably cost you anywhere from like, I don't know, 2,500 bucks to five grand at the most, Okay, which is not chump change. You know, maybe, and right. maybe you can get it. Maybe you can get it for less. This is pretty standard. Don't do it yourself. And, and, you know, Nashville obviously has a huge entrepreneurship community. Mm-hmm. That was our first iPhone women cohort. Thank you, Van Tucker. I love you. Um, mm-hmm. You've got a huge entrepreneurship community down there and you have a huge angel investor network down there. I would ask around and find out who is a reasonable and very good startup lawyer who is used to working with corporations who are raising, you know, their first round of funding, first couple rounds of funding. Okay. And then, are, you know, there's going to be a couple of names of startup lawyers in town that everyone's using. And, you know, you're going to want to interview a few of them. Like, don't go with just like the one your friend is using, because this is getting a little bit into the weeds. But I'm right. going to do this because I think it's important for you to hear. And, and we talked about this in our last show, but there are different ways to structure your capital raise. And a lot of sort of the new startup lawyers are doing safes or they're doing convertible notes, which is really a loan or preferred deals where it's not a founder first mindset, because once you start raising equity Mm -hmm. capital for your business, it means you're giving up ownership of your business. And I know, you know, this, I'm telling this to the audience and I know Mm -hmm. the audience knows this, but it bears repeating just in case you don't, (laughs) you are selling ownership of your company. So right now, Lauren owns 100% of move inclusive. She's going to go out and raise her first round of capital, which is, will be a seed round angel and seed rounds. Your first rounds get mishmashed and everyone's calling them different things, but let's go with your raising a seed round. We did it with all common stock, no preferred. And what that means is when you do common stock, none of your investors have voting rights. None of your investors get a board seat. Nobody can tell you what to do. And they can't fire you because fast forward, hopefully you're going to raise this round. You, well, you are going to raise this round. Like that's like not even a question. So you raise your seed round and you're probably going to sell about, so let's see if you're you're going to probably going to sell about 20% of your company ish. Right. And then you're going to own 80. That's like a good place to land. Okay. Or 25%, whatever it is. Because then when you do subsequent rounds of, of, of financing, you are going to be diluted. So in your series A, you're going to sell another 20% of your company. So now you've sold, let's see, 45%, your 55% owner and the investors own 45%. And that's getting real close to, you know, once your investors have preferred stock with voting rights And they will require that the farther you go to IPO. Okay. Cause we're, you're shooting for the stars here. You're Mm -hmm. shooting for IPO or exit. You're shooting for either unicorn valuation, which is a billion dollars or lifestyle business valuation, which is, you know, between five and a hundred and $700 million should be a pretty freaking great payday, quite frankly, (laughs) but you want to pay attention to how much you are selling of your company at every round and what the deals are. 
I don't want to get so bogged down into that because you haven't even done your investor deck yet. Right. But it's just like some things to think about in terms of when you're interviewing your lawyers and you're getting their POV on what new founders should do. There would be alarm bells for me if I had some person saying to me, value your company low and just take any money in you can get and all money's green. It doesn't matter because also that's not true. A, they're not thinking of founder friendly deal structure, which right. is not good for you. And B, you don't want to take any money from just anybody and take it from me. I took one check from an angel that I wish I could give back. Hmm. I mean, I, I could personally yeah. write a check to give it back, but that's in poor taste. Right. Um, <laughs> this person is a royal pain in my, my butt. Hmm. They're constantly calling and they wrote this tiny, tiny check. Hmm. It's like the smaller the checks, the more of a pain in the ass the investor will be. Amen. It's another like hot tip for you. I'm just keeping it real, guys. It's an OBS show. It's an OBS show, you know, <laughs> bottom line. Okay. All right. Back to the coaching. What is your number one step is you are going to change your corporation setup and you're going to get a lawyer who is great and you're going to get an accountant, which you probably already have. Okay. Awesome. Second step is start your investor deck. So you have your pitch nailed. You know your market size, you know your business model, you have all the basics down. You just need a succinct, pretty investor deck mm -hmm. that you can confidently either present or send around or whatever it is. And don't reinvent the wheel. There are so many places to find really great investor deck templates. In fact, if you Google it, you know, you will see there's so many startup gurus out there that have done actual research and analysis on which of these decks has raised the most money. Okay. Just like use those. Are you in Dream Ventures um, community? Yes, yes. Okay. We just had our first launch meeting to get to know all of the other uh, founders in the group last week. Okay. So tell, so tell us a little bit about that because, and just a shout out to Annie Evans, yes. who was my coach for raising my first round of capital. So this is another hot tip, hire a coach. When you're raising capital as a founder, it is such a time suck. It literally takes up all of your time. So you can't run your business. And on top of it, you don't know what you're doing because it's the first time you've done it. IHTM, it happened to me. Many people were like, you really need a partner in crime. You need a coach to take you from beginning to end of your raise and mm -hmm. be that hand holder to look over your emails. And like, and Annie's like, I don't know, she's blessed with some weird gift. Oh my gosh, she's would, the best. She's the best. I would send her emails. She'd be like, dude, this is way too long. Like <laughs> she would chop my, my diatribe down into literally like three sentences, no exclamation points, none of the BS that women do with like, I think, and I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry, it took me so long to get you. Yeah. I think you would be a great partner. She was like, no, 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 no. A little bit of a plug for, for dream ventures. They are experts in getting your first round of capital done. And if they choose to take you on, that means they believe in you. So it's awesome that you're in her program. So yes. I would engage with Annie like right away. Okay. Because what you want to start doing then is creating an investor deck. I'm sure she has like a million that have worked well. And then you're going to start network mapping. You can mm -hmm. use your old best friend, the iPhone women method playbook. Mm -hmm. Seriously. I used it for our round because all it is, is a list. It's CRM. It's a list of people who you want to invest. And the key with raising venture capital is you've got to do a ton of research because time is so precious and you have none of it. 
you're running your business. Time is your most precious commodity as a founder and as a human. And so you're going to find, Lauren, that there are so many people that are going to love what you're doing. And they're going to be well-intentioned people that say, Lauren, I want you to meet so-and-so. They're an investor. I want you to meet so-and-so. They're a venture capitalist. And these are well-meaning, wonderful people. And that's great. But before you commit to taking a meeting, which by the way, you know what it's like. It's not like we rolled out of bed like this. I mean, you might have, you're like 8,000 years younger than I am, but like I did not. <laughs> and it, you know, for women, it just takes us an extra hour to get ready for these meetings, right. which just sucks, but it's true. I'm just keeping it real. And it, it's again, ladies, like you don't have to put on hair and makeup. It's just like, I'm vain. So I'm not like, <laughs> uh, and also like I perform better. I feel, oh, yeah. I perform feel, better. Yes. I got you my feel face. good. You, you just, you, it's better for sure. Exactamente. So time being the most precious commodity, you don't want to take meetings with people who are not going to write you a check okay. because if they are a VC, a local VC, who's only invested in, you know, B2B SaaS companies, mm-hmm. they're not going to be they're able to interested. write you a check. Yeah they're taking the meeting because their friend said, Hey, my friend is raising VC. Mm-hmm. Can you like give her some tips or hear her pitch or help her out? Mm-hmm. And I think that like, because you're in Annie's program and she's also a VC and mm-hmm. she's seen every, she's seen a lot in her years of doing this, you kind of can skip that step. Sure. For those of you who are, who are going it alone, you know, it's good to practice on investors that aren't going to invest and that, you know, that. So you, they always say you want to do your worst meetings first, and I've never taken that advice, and it's been to my own detriment. But you want to take your worst meetings first to get the kinks out of your pitch because it's sense, scary. Yeah. It's yeah. scary at first. You're going to get out there and be like, oh, my God, there are these slides, but I really just want to tell my story. And I have this really cool video I want to show to open up the meeting, which, by the way, is a hot tip. It's a great way to get okay. the vibe going when you are pitching investors. One minute. A one okay. minute, fast pace, upbeat, amazing sizzle reel. It mm-hmm. sets the vibe, gets people so excited. And then you go into your pitch and you like got them. Okay. Yeah. But from there, the meetings that you're going to want to get are number one, you should use Crunchbase to research. Okay. Go to Crunchbase. I think they've got like a pro account. I don't even know if you need the pro account for this level of research, but I think you do. And okay. again, this is hashtag not an ad, like we could care less, like, but Crunchbase is a great resource for finding out investors, both angel and, and firms from seed all through, you know, series, whatever, D and F, who are invested in your space, which could be multiple. It could be ASD. Yeah. It could be people with disabilities. It could be mobility. Mm -hmm. So you really want to hone in and do the research on who the investors are that are writing checks in your space. You are solving the problem of creating physical, emotional, and mental health for people with disabilities. Yes. So Mm -hmm. you want to find VCs who are investing and writing checks in that, in that area. And so it just takes research. Oh, and then the final thing is, Don't forget to look locally. So there is, I did a little sleuthing and there's a huge angel syndicate in Nashville, which I wasn't surprised about because again, Nashville has a huge startup community. So Nashville Capital is an angel syndicate right in your own backyard. Okay. Again, don't start with them because they're going to write you a check. Okay. Hello, Nashville Capital people. (laughs) You're going to want to write this girl a check. (laughs) 
every, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. She's, she's doing it. And this is a massive opportunity. So you're welcome, but don't call them first. Cause you want to practice. Yes. Yes. All the yaya's out on the people that aren't going to write you the checks. And then it's, you know, the angel syndicates locally. And then you even mentioned that there was a parent in Seattle. So like if there's a cohort mm-hmm. or if there's a, a group of parents in one, in an, in an area mm-hmm. that, that you've been popular in, I would even go to those places in, you know, Seattle, sure. startup central, tons of angel syndicates and seed firms in Seattle. And if you have a burgeoning customer base there, that's another proof point that they're going to love. Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay. So to recap, so it's one, get your corporation set up Two, create your investor deck three network map and do your research. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're ready. Like the answer is yes. And those are your three steps. Okay. You are 100% VC fundable. Hallelujah. I would not say that if I didn't believe it to my core. You've got all the, all the markers of a successful early entrepreneur that any VC would be lucky to have you in their portfolio. Awesome. Thank you, Karen. How do you feel? Like I real feel talk. good. I love, I love a good like checklist and I feel like I have a very tangible list of things that I'm like, okay, yes, I can, I can do all of those things. So while it is definitely... I mean, it's a lot of information, of course, but it's all good things. And I think this was, this was amazing. This was super helpful for me. So thank you. My pleasure. So I hope that all of the other entrepreneurs out there who are thinking about raising a round of venture capital their first, you really need to have a lot of checked boxes before you go down the path, because it is a time consuming path. A uh, one last thing that I forgot to mention, you need to have a a start and an end date to your raise because otherwise it will go on forever. Okay. (laughs) Right. You know, work with Annie, whether that's like four months uh, from start to finish from like deck creation to close Mm -hmm. or three months or six months, whatever it is, you know, that you're going to be heads down. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's just like crowdfunding. Like you did nothing for 30 days and then you have PTSD. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You've got money. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing. So the shorter, the better. Okay. The more compressed timeline, deadlines for your investors. And again, Annie will tell you all about this in your in your sessions. But remember, it's just it's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. But you you are doing this. You can do this. And for anybody watching, all of you VCs who are watching, Lauren Beasley, Move Inclusive Dance. You want in on this? <laughs> and. Go follow Lauren at Move Inclusive. What are your What are your handles, Lauren? At Move Inclusive Dance for everything. At Move Inclusive Dance for everything, and we will see you. Peace. Entrepreneurs, thank you for listening to this episode of the iPhone Women Show. If you loved what you heard and you learned stuff, please go and give us a five-star review. That's right, five stars. Do it, do it, do it. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with everyone you know, or at least share it with the entrepreneurs in your life. And you do have our permission to share it with dudes. We are an equal access funding platform. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, concerns, thoughts, feelings, whatever, follow 
follow at iPhoneWomen on all the socials. We would love to hear from you. Slide into our DMs and we will totally get back to you. 